Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Bucks general manager Jason Light very quietly got a new contract in January, four years with a club option for 2023, same as Coach Bruce Arians. What were the Glazers thinking? I'll tell you what was behind that news that I broke on early Saturday morning. And the Bucks beat Miami 16-14 in what was a dreadful preseason game Friday night at Raymond James. We'll break that down and tell you about the extraordinary journey from waiter to NFL kicker for rookie Matt Gay, who made the 48-yard field goal to win the game. And Choi to the world, G-Man walks it off for the Rays for the second straight night against the Tigers. They win that series two games to one. We've got all that in Plant High's own Pete Alonzo. Broke the National League rookie home run record with his 40th homer coming against the Royals on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, so will you. So for information, here's what you do. Contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll get you in touch with our digital advertising folks and give you some options and you can be part of our team. Okay, Steve, we'll talk about uh, what was just an almost unwatchable game Friday night at Raymond James. Boy, it, that thing was, was it like 6-6 at one point and there were no plays being made at all. It turned very quickly there in the last five minutes and of course, a game-winning field goal from 48 yards by Matt Gay and I'll talk to you about his journey. But uh, first, uh, a story that I broke early Saturday morning after the game, uh, which is uh, back in January, of course, when the Bucks hired Bruce Arians just a few days later, they also did something that they haven't really talked about, and that is they signed general manager Jason Light to really the same term of a contract, not the same deal, obviously, or the same compensation, although we don't know what that is exactly. But in terms of the length of contract, Jason Lights get, gets a four-year contract with a fifth-year club option, so that would be in 2023. So essentially, he's locked up until 2023. Uh, should he should he go ahead and and you know play out his entire contract? That would make him, by the way, if he is able to do that, the longest tenured Bucks general manager in the history of the franchise. And if you think that's not something, consider this: that Jason Light got a contract extension after a 27-53 and 53 record in five seasons with the Bucks, It includes just one winning season, 9-7 and seven, in 2016, and no playoff appearances to date. So, uh, you know, you might say, well, what was behind this? Well, I, I think this goes back, Steve, to just the whole decision by the Glazer family to hire Bruce Arians. Um, you know, I went back and, I, and as part of this story that I wrote, I, I listened back to my interview with Joel Glazer, which we played on this podcast back in March. And as you do that under this context now, knowing that both these guys are sort of locked up with, uh, you know, synonymous length of contracts, uh, it's pretty obvious that, you know, Bruce Arians had some demands. And 
you know, if you remember the coaching search in general, I mean, there weren't, in their minds at least, a, a great, you know, list of, of candidates that were out there when they were trying to replace Dirk Cutter. And they did hire a search firm, and they interviewed guys like Eric Bieniemy, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs who has not called plays in his career. They interviewed Vikings defensive, defensive coordinator George Edwards and some others. But none of those guys seemed to appeal to the Glazers as much as Bruce Arians did. But the problem was Bruce Arians was retired. I mean, Bruce Arians left the Cardinals. He still had, uh, you know, a year or two on his contract in Arizona. He left for health reasons. He announced that. He was out for a year. He worked for CBS, you know, doing the broadcasting thing. And, you know, he had, he had made hints, I think, on TV that, boy, if there's one job I'd come, out, come back for, it was a Cleveland Browns job. He later said that that was – really him sort of trying to uh, help his buddy Chuck, Chuck Pagano get that gig. And Chuck Pagano now is, I think, the defensive coordinator in Chicago. But at any rate, you know, to get Bruce Arians out of retirement at age 66 when he was in his forever home in Georgia, having coached as long as he had, that was going to take quite an effort. And, it would, and he would only do it, you know, under the right set of circumstances. And now we know that there were three things that really sort of convinced him to do this. The first was he wanted to make sure he had a quarterback, and he believes in Jameis Winston. Let me repeat that. He believes in Jameis Winston. He's known him since middle school, had him in his camp in Birmingham, all of that. We've all heard that story of him showing Jameis his Super Bowl ring when Jameis was, you know, 15, 16 years old. Uh, and, of course, he's followed his career ever since. So he, he knows the situation with Jameis Winston in his final year of his contract, what it would mean to the organization for him to finally – have that breakthrough year. And so he's the quarterback whisperer. That was that was a, a, a big priority of his was, you know, at this point he's not going to go somewhere where they didn't have a quarterback. So he believes in Jameis Winston. Then he wanted to make sure, and this is not necessarily in any order as we're finding out, he wanted to make sure he could get his assistants, coaches, a, a good portion of them. He damn near got every one of them because many of them were unemployed when Todd Bowles got fired from the Jets. You know, he brings Byron Leftwich over from the Arizona Cardinals and makes him his offensive coordinator. You know, he gets Keith Armstrong to be the uh, special teams coordinator. And, and he hires about, you know, 34 coaches, um, you know, guy anywhere from Chris Bonio to Roger Kingdom. Uh, and, you know, two females. I mean, he gets everything he wants in terms of a staff, the salary, what they needed, all of that. So he gets that as well. And then and then maybe the most important thing, as it turns out, was he got the GM he wanted uh, for as long as he's here in Tampa Bay. He got Jason Light. And I'm pretty sure, and I, you know, I don't know how these conversations went down or the involvement of, of this whole, you know, sort of hiring, but I, I got to think at some level, you know, there weren't many people that could have delivered a guy like Bruce Arians. I mean, at any point in the franchise's history – if you are looking for a head coach and you can say, hey, we can get a two-time coach of the year, right? Well, what are we talking about here? You know, you're going back, you're talking about a guy like, you know, Bill Belichick or Jimmy Johnson or, you know, um, you know some guy that's, uh, you know, that's knocked it out of the park, right? That this, I mean, I don't know who won, who won the award last year, but the point is maybe it's Sean McVay. So you're talking about somebody that has, you know, tremendous credentials and, for a guy like Arians that has been in the game as long as he has, you know, he's so well-known and so well-respected, especially in the quarterback uh, realm and his offense, which is what, you know, you're trying to, to try to make that relationship work. 
So in my mind, like this was all about getting the coach you wanted and what it would take to do that. Now, the other part of this is the Glazers believe in Jason Light. I know just from the reaction to this story, I mean, you know, there was the mean tweets and the memes and all this kind of like disbelief. Um, but I think you have to you have to understand the, sort of the, the trust that they have in him and, and must still have in him to sign him to this deal. And, you know, it's there are there are plenty of documented failures. The record is not good, to say the very least. You know, he came here and, and Lovey Smith hired him in effect, uh, even though that was his first head coach. The first one he hired, obviously, was Dirk Cutter. That was his his first real hire as a head coach. This would be his second, not his third, although it's rare for any GM to to work with or under, you know, three different head coaches. But he's still he's still with the same franchise quarterback, and that's even more unusual to draft a quarterback number one and to outlast him and then maybe draft another quarterback or get one from another organization. So what this is about is Jameis Winston as much as anything that the Glazers did not want to give up on him and, and, you know, sort of tear this thing apart and rebuild it with another quarterback. Um, And so, as John Romano wrote a very good column in the Tampa Bay Times, they're taking – I'm not not quoting them accurately, but they're taking, you know, everyone through down to the rabbit hole to try to save Jameis's promise. And Jason Light is part of that investment. He's now part of that decision to you know to go all in all in for Jameis Winston all in with Bruce Arians to save him and for Bruce Arians that means you're you're keeping the GM as well so you have continuity on the on the front office side because remember when you fire a GM you're also probably going to change the whole personnel department you know somebody else is going to come in here want his player development guy um, change the entire front office all of that so all that structure stays if you keep the GM uh, and, and no matter what you think of, you know, sort of the deals and, and the draft picks that Jason has had or some of the misses in free agency, I'm here to tell you all teams miss in free agency. But there still is a core of decent to, to very good players that he has drafted and they have developed. And that's undeniable. I mean, many of these guys have now made it to second contracts. It's unfortunate what hasn't happened is they haven't won. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the quarterback might be, might be you know, near the top of the list of it we're going to find out now that Bruce Arians is here so it was interesting Steve I I didn't you know I didn't expect to find out that he had a five-year deal (laughs) I I was thinking okay maybe he got two or three year extension I think that was the shock of it when I you know I saw your story and at first I was shocked knowing you know the record he put up you know a game worse than Mark Dominic before him I believe it's the second worst record of GMs in Bucks history I could be wrong Second, you know, well, it's it's definitely John one of McKay, the worst. Yeah, well, John McKay was the GM coach, in, in mm-hmm. essence, and he lost twenty six in a row. Right. So, right. But as far as an actual GM, um, he's one game less than Mark, and I'm not I'm not sure mm-hmm. that anybody that's had the general manager title has lost more games and, in that period. Of, right. That period of time. And so uh, it was initial shock, and, and but the more I thought about it, you know, look, Bruce Arians is the guy they think can save Jameis Winston. Right. He had demands from, I'm not calling plays. I need all my staff with me. And it's a big staff and probably a lot of money. And he wasn't coming without the GM. He wanted to. Now, the five-year deal, I guess, is still the only thing that's shocking. I mean, the more I thought about it, 
it, it made sense that you know Light got a longer deal. And I guess if it yeah. matches Bruce's, then that's probably what it took for Bruce to come here. I think so. Yeah, I, but, I think that that was the whole part. You know, but it, it's it's hard to if this season doesn't go as well as planned. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting what the fans' reaction is. Well, he's got to turn it around. I don't know if he can do it this year, and I think there's a lot of things that will be working against the Bucks that are out of his control. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, he didn't make the schedule, for example, when he came um, and agreed to be coach in January. By yes. the time April rolled around and the NFL said, hey, guess what, you don't play a game in Tampa from September 22nd until November 10th, uh, the 23,000 mile, miles they couldn't do anything about, but the way it was set up was not good. I think that's going to be a factor. And, and also, you know, that they had no money under the salary cap. I mean, these guys had to lose players, you know, uh, Quan Alexander and some others uh, that they, they just couldn't re-sign. Um, Adam Humphreys, you know, was another guy. Uh, and they were able to sign in Damakansu. They, of course, made, made the decision to cut Gerald McCoy. But no real money to make acquisitions. Now, next year, as you've looked at the salary cap, I have two, Steve – they have a, a an opportunity to you know to have lots of money under the salary cap. Now they'll have to franchise. Let's assume everything goes well with Jameis, or at least enough to where you want to bring him back. And I've always thought this is not a one year fix for Jameis, and it's probably not a one year deal um, as far as he goes. I think he'll play well enough to either get franchised or maybe earn you know a bigger contract. But um, you know, outside of having to maybe pay him a, a several more million dollars under a franchise tag. They they will have some flexibility. Yeah, for the uh, most part, the for the most goes. part, the only people under con- guaranteed money next yeah. year are people on the rookie contract. Yeah, uh, and there's um, Donovan Smith will have guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Marpet, I think a small maybe. part of Ali Marpet's salary next year is guaranteed. Mike Mike yeah. Evans is not. Right. Right. Um, now he's under contract, and, and Cam Brake and Cam Brady is not right. But I, I pretty much it's it's starting next year. It's only players that are still on their rookie deals, basically, yeah. and, and yeah. a, a player here or there, or the ones that have just been re-signed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, a couple of the free agents that have just re-signed this year, because the most of right. them have re-signed two or three years ago. The, the guaranteed money's done. Sure. I mean, you could take all those guys. You know, even from, and I mean, Damakon Sue is a one-year deal. You know, Bo Allen, I don't think, has any guaranteed money left after this year. Um, Levante David is $10 million. He may not play after this year. Right. It's not guaranteed uh, next with year. The Bucks. Not guaranteed. Cameron Brait, same thing. So th- th- you can just go down the line. Now, they're going to have to pay some guys. I mean, mm-hmm. sooner than later, you're going to have to re-up O.J. Howard, I would think. Well, that, sure. well know, and if you want Mike Evans back next year, you'll have to pay him, and I forget what the number yeah, is next year. That's but a I good mean, number. But it's yeah. not guaranteed if you wanted to go a different direction. Right, exactly. And there's a lot of guys. Ryan Jensen, I don't think, has any guaranteed money after mm-hmm. this year. I mean, there's there's guys you can lose uh, and you know, if you decide to go that route and then go out for other free agents. Now, we know free agency isn't always the answer either. So, But they'll be better positioned, I think, than they, they were hamstrung as far as what. So that's, that's my larger point is that, look, this guy has turned teams around and done it very fast in Arizona and Indianapolis and elsewhere. I don't know that it's set up for him to win this year. I think it's set up for him to win next year, mm-hmm. um, assuming that you know the schedule cannot be as as adversarial as it is to the Bucks with the travel and the way it's set up, and and it's just the mere fact that you know you'll have another draft class. Devin White, who's going to quarterback your defense, will be in his second season, which is a huge lump. The biggest, a huge bump. The biggest improvement you make is between your first and second year. You know. Uh, 
Vita Vea, if he gets healthy, will be going into his third season. Um, you know, and you'll have another draft class that you can add Your to whole defensive the secondary line. is going to be in their second or third year, basically. Oh, yeah, they got a young secondary with the exception. I mean, Vernon Hargraves has got a fifth-year, you know, guarantee against injuries if they decide to bring him back. But the whole secondary is young, and I think they're talented, but they're going to get better as they, as they start to age. And so, you know, it just it seems more likely that they would win a year from now than they would this season. We'll see. Um, but I think at minimum they have to know if you're the Glazers, hey, it'd be great if he turns us around and we win the division this year. I mean, they're not conceding that, obviously. But in their minds they have to know that 2020 – um, probably sets up a little better for them. But, well, and you want to see improvement know. this year. You want to see that they're Absolutely. on the right track. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, while they've said this is a reload, not a rebuild, you and right. I have said all along, look, this is about 2020, not 2019. It seems that way to me. I but mean, you, need to again, get on the, you need to get on the right page and going in the right direction this year. That's right. And in all this, you know, the other thing is, too, you got new schemes. I mean, I've, look, we've seen what coaches can do. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a coach's league. It's a coach-quarterback league, and – if you don't believe that, then how did the Rams go from, you know, Jeff Fisher day, 7-9 and nine every year, to here comes, you know, Sean McVay, and boom, you're 13-3. and three. Not a whole lot of additions that he made in free agency on that, on that ball club. He took Jared Goff in his second year and turned him into a, you know, almost like a Pro Bowl quarterback at, at one point. So, you know, they were averaging 30-something points a game. So coaching does matter, and that's why the guy in New England wins every year. Yes, he has Tom Brady. But even in the year when he didn't, he won He won then too. So, you know, they're banking on Bruce Arians, even though he's not going to call plays, even though he's more of a COO coach. But but this is and, – and, and look, you can look at the resumes. This is the best coaching staff they've had mm-hmm. based in terms of their accomplishments and guys like Todd Bowles, who's been a head coach, and, and right on through Clyde Christensen, all of that. Um, that they've had since John Gruden left, since Monty Kiffin and Rod Marinelli and all those guys were here. So I, I think that, you know, if coaching matters uh, and these guys can draft and develop these players. The other thing is, and, and I think, you know, sometimes when you're a GM, like Jason came in here the first year under Lovey Smith, and that's when some of the mistakes started happening. Now the draft class, you know, it was really Mike Evans, right? I mean, that's – that wasn't a bad place to start. The first draft pick he made under Lovey Smith was Mike Evans. But what happens is, you know, Lovey had control of the 53-man roster. So that year it was, it was Jason trying to say, you like this? What do you, what do you like in a linebacker? What do you want in a defensive lineman? What kind of scheme are we running? What fits this? What kind of player you need to play zone or man? You know, so you're trying to learn each other. You're trying to, to try to identify players, right? And, and Lovey Smith is part of that process. And then he's gone in two years, right? So now you have the power. And now you have an offensive coach in Dirk Cutter, and so you're working with him. And a lot of times that synergy, there's a miss there. You know, it's like, you know, I, I was always confused about, you know, them drafting Vernon Hargraves to play him in a zone scheme. You know, Vernon Hargraves was never really, you know, he, he's more of a press corner guy, and yet they took him and Carlton Davis, neither, neither, neither of which were really press corners in their college careers, and said, hey, you'll be perfect in Mike Smith's Tampa 2. And it just didn't seem like a good fit. So you get these guys, and they tell you they're going to fit, and not, they don't really fit. Um, but I think, the, I think the, the communication and sort of uh, the understanding and trust, it's really about trust between Bruce Arians and Jason Light, is, is far exceeds anything he, that he had 
with Lovey Smith or Dirk Cutter, in my opinion, just the way I've watched these two men work together. Uh, they communicate very well. Bruce is a great communicator. And we kind of saw it in the draft. You know, we watched sort of like, you know, everybody was kind of stunned about, and we'll get to this guy in a second, about, you know, what, what they took another kicker in the fifth round, really? They drafted another kicker? Well, if you really examine it, I mean, Bruce Arian's son, Jake, is a kicker. You know, he, he, he's been around place kickers his whole life. And so, you know, there were some guys that, you know, and then, then you get the special teams coach involved in Keith Armstrong who looks for a certain makeup. You know, all these guys are talented. There's a, there's a ton of people that can kick the ball, um, but you look for a certain personality. And so, you know, you start to see very quickly, you know, kind of what Bruce Arians, you know, handprint is on this thing. And you get players for Todd Bowles' system that Todd Bowles is able to communicate to Bruce Arians and to Jason and say, hey, this is what we need in our Mike linebacker. You know, we need a guy that can, that can blitz, you know, can, can, can sack the quarterback, can cover in space, uh, can make plays, uh, you know, smart, uh, physical, fast, you know. And, and, and so you start to get players that, you know, they're not square pegs and round holes anymore. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, no, Noah Spence is a better fit for this defense than he was for Mike Smith's. It never really made sense. So I think the synergy is better between Arians and Light. And no matter what you think of Jason Light, this is about Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians is about Jameis Winston. And this is where this all began, right? Is, is this guy, Jameis Winston, going to be their franchise quarterback into his 30s, right? Is he going to be the guy that takes them and wins the Super Bowl? And they need to have a pretty good indication of that after this year because he has no more left on his contract. they got to either franchise him or sign him to a new deal. So if anybody can make that determination, if anybody can, can fix him, and I know that's a word that people hate, but if they can take him to the next level, it's going to be Bruce Arians. That's what they believe, and that's why Bruce Arians is a head coach. And if you want Bruce Arians, then you're taking Jason Light for the next four years five if you if you decide to give him 2023 so that's what this was all about and yeah there's there was leverage obviously that Arians had Jason Light had a little bit as, a little bit as well I would imagine um so it worked out for both of them but that's that's going to be the that's now is is any of this guaranteed no we, look we saw them fire John Gruden a year after they signed him into a three-year extension and John Gruden has a statue in the lobby, okay? <laughs> He's got a Super Bowl, a Lombardi trophy in a glass case. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jason there. So they didn't have any trouble firing John uh, with three years left. The one thing we know about the Glazers is they will pay you not to work there. And they have paid many coaches and I assume and many GMs as well. So you know, no matter what the contract says, that that's not money that's, you know, that's that's coming out of their pockets, not necessarily the fans or the salary cap. I guess it does ultimately it comes out of the fans' pockets. But, you know, 
it's not something that's going to affect, you know, who they draft or who they sign as free agents. So, you know, there, there's, there's no absolutes in the NFL. We, we frankly don't know sort of how Bruce is going to feel physically. You know, every year that he's been a head coach in the NFL, he's taken at least one trip to the hospital. So, you know, there's that too. You know, how is this going to work? How is it going to work with Byron Leftwich calling plays for the first time in his career? You know, he did it eight games last year, but it was Mike McCoy's offense, not not Bruce Arians. So a lot of this is is still to be determined. But I think that, you know, this was the big fish that the Glazers wanted to land, and they got their guy, and they had to, you know, agree to, to uh, retain Jason, which, again, I think they have way more faith in Jason than the fans do. Um, I know that relationship, and it's one of trust. It really is. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. As far as Friday night goes, man, <laughs> did you stay awake for any of that? I mean, that, that game set, set preseason football back, which is horrible to begin with. It felt like the first half took about three hours. Oh, my gosh. It was horrible. It didn't, but Just it felt horrible. like it. It felt like it. And, of course, you know, the start, look, the starters for the Bucks played one series, as, as we expected, just like they did against Pittsburgh. Uh, we did find out that Ronald Jones uh, could get your quarterback killed uh, and, and nearly did, except that Jameis did his Houdini thing and, you know, got out of there. And, but, you know, it ended up costing them a series. Um, and so they wound up having a punt. They had something going there for a while. But, there, you know, this time the offense was unable to finish a drive. And, you know, defensively they did okay. I mean, they, you know, the other team started Josh Rosen. I think they wanted to take a look at him. But if you didn't know which team was rebuilding and which one you thought was reloading, it was very difficult to tell the difference because those two teams were, were just slugging it out in the, in the mud. It was just was not good football. And, um, you know, it got exciting, I'll say that. You know, there was a lot of penalties. I think the Bucks had eight penalties Six of those resulted in first downs. I mean, they, they had a bunch of penalties on third down a lot. Three roughing the passers, one hands to the face. Uh, you know, it was just taking turns, uh, making ridiculous penalties on defense. But, of course. Well, Bruce Arians he even said, hey, you're going to make penalties, you're going to be cut. You're going to be cut. And he said before the game that he could have cut this team down to 60. Um, and by the time the game was over, I was wondering if he even thought he had 53 players he wanted to keep because – some of these guys just didn't perform very well. Well, he and, mentioned in his uh, post-game press conference that he's, you know, the players should be glad that cut day's not tomorrow. <laughs> I know. I know. And yet there was still some that, that showed up in the clutch. I mean, even after they, they mm-hmm. took the lead, then they gave it up, and then they get the ball back with under two minutes, and here comes Mr. August, Ryan Griffin, and the disclaimer comes now, who's never taken a regular season snap in the NFL. He takes him down the field and touchdown uh, – Tanner Hudson does all the all the work, you know, to get them into uh, field goal range. And then they bring on Matt Gay. And let me just say, I mean, look, I think we've all kind of known this, but it certainly helped to see it at least in a preseason game because this is as close as you can simulate regular football as, as you can. But Matt Gay's won this job, okay? I, it's unimaginable to me the way I've watched him kick in practice, the strength of his leg. He goes out there and he nails a 48-yarder, and that's something we really haven't seen consistently, at least over the last few years, to say the very least. And they win the game, and you know everybody's happy. You know, I forgot. It's funny because 
you know, by that time, the starters had been out for about three and a half hours, it seemed. Um, you know, they barely played. And so you're watching a lot of guys, many of which will end up in the XFL, not the NFL. But winning is so much better, as Nick Lelouch said, than losing. Even a preseason game. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you saw you know, Jameis Winston out in the field at the end of the oh, game. Oh, they were, yeah, they were so pumped up mm-hmm. when that ball went through the uprights. I mean, uh, you know, they were dancing and the hips were swaying, Bo Allen and Vernon Hargraves and all those guys were going nuts over there. And the, just the mood of the locker room, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, even though it's, and we always say, it doesn't matter who wins a preseason game, you know, really. I mean, you're playing, you know, the game is usually determined by guys who are not going to be in the NFL at the end of the day. And yet it does matter. I'm here to tell you it matters because they're competitors and they want to win. And it just feels better when you win. And if you haven't won a lot, as the Bucks have not over the last few years, any victory, even in preseason, feels good. So the locker room was, was fired up. It was, it was Bruce's you know, first win, obviously, uh, of any kind as a head coach. And so you know, that felt good. And, and you know, again, not a very aesthetically pleasing day. But they did find out something about Matt Gay, who did not – really get to attempt any game-winning field goals in his uh, few years at Utah. I had a chance to, to talk to Matt, and I wrote a story, if you hadn't had a chance to read it, uh, on TampaBay.com about sort of his incredible incredible journey that Matt Gay has taken to the NFL. Um, for example, and, and this is the thing that slays me, he wasn't a football player, folks. He did not kick footballs. <laughs> I mean, two years ago, he was sort of a washed-up soccer player, to be honest with you. He kicked one year, his senior year in high school, uh, and he was a very good soccer, soccer player. In fact, he was, you know, invited to, uh, uh, you know, to, to try out for the under-17 USA uh, men's soccer team back in the day. Uh, but, you know, his senior year of high school, the coach of the football team said, can you, just, can you just kick for us? Like, can you kick field goals and extra points? We don't even care if you practice. Just come – come out on Friday nights and he said yeah I'll do that but and he actually caught the attention of some teams but you know he wound up uh soccer was was sort of his passion but he's a bigger guy you know he's not when you think about soccer players like Lionel Messi or somebody that's all of 5'8 and 160 pounds soaking wet you're not thinking you're not thinking of somebody like this guy uh who currently is about you know six foot 230 pounds or so um but but he was he was two years ago, yeah, about about two two and a half years ago. He was a washed up soccer player at Utah Valley, uh, the Utah Valley Wolverines, which had you know had just started their program when he got there. He redshirted like every other freshman. Then they started their program, and you know his first year, um, you know he did he did really really well. I mean he had what do you have like I think like I don't know fifteen goals or something like that. And then he goes. Then he goes on a mission because he's Mormon and he's in, he's in Utah. He goes on a mission to Houston, uh, and he tells me he says, you know, when when they feed the missionaries, <laughs> he goes, there's like a dinner every night, and he goes, but you know, whoever's putting on the dinner, like that's the big deal for them. So they go all out, right? And he's eating Tex-Mex, and he's eating tons of steaks and things. Cause he's in Texas, and so he puts on 25 pounds. So when he comes back to play soccer, the guy's weighing like 225. Well, at that point, he can't run for 90 minutes. You know, he doesn't look anything like a soccer player. And so he goes from being one of their best players to scoring one goal in 15 games. And he's pretty much fallen off the radar. Uh, and so, you know, credit his soccer coach for, for 
a guy named uh, by the name of Greg Moss at Utah Valley. He he brought him in. He brought him in one day and he says, "Look, you're coming in. You're coming in to see me as a soccer player, but I think you're going to leave as a, as as a as a football player because I've seen you kick, you know, goal kick and do some things with the ball." And he knew how strong his leg was, and he said, "You know, you really need to consider, you know, trying to find a place to, you know, to kick in college." And so that's where he was. Two years ago, he's trying to find a, a home to be a place kicker in in, in college. And he's working at, you know, the Texas Roadhouse on South State Street in Orin, Utah. And how do we know that? Well, his buddy the other day, Jake Hassler, happened to be in that place remembering that he was a waiter there, Matt Gay was, just two years earlier, trying to trying to figure out where he was going to go to school. And so, you know, he ended up going to uh, to a kicking camp, working with a guy named Greg Zahner, I think it was, who had been a special teams coach in the NFL. And he knew uh, Ty Winningham, who was a coach at Utah. But when he called him, you know, he said, look, I got two guys on scholarship. You know, I've got two kickers already here under scholarship. I mean, if he wants to walk on, you know, and he said, and, and so they, they convinced him. He said, look, he told Kyle, he said, Zahner said, you know, trust me, this guy's special. Um, let him walk on. Uh, see what you think. So he did. And so Whittingham started the season, and he's got one of his scholarship kickers out there, and the guy misses, like, his first attempt. And so he trots out Matt Gay, and the guy winds up kicking 14 straight field goals and 14 straight extra points. He wins the Lou Groza Award for the best kicker in the nation. I mean, unbelievable, right? His first season of, of college football. Uh, and then, of course, the rest is history. He plays two years, gets trapped in the fifth round, and here he is. So in talking to Matt, he told me, he said, look, I'm not a guy that grew up going to kicking camps, and I don't have a swing coach, and I'm not, you know, I don't have all these sort of mechanics that I, that I go through. I just sort of line up and kick the ball through the uprights. And if I get into a little bit of a rut, I'll stand there and won't take a step and just try to kick it through the goalpost. I mean, sound, he keeps it as simple as you possibly can. And because he has such a strong leg, he doesn't have to, you know, the longer field goals is no more effort than one from, you know, 32 yards. It's just the same kind of – it's the same kick for him. Uh, so we've seen we've seen him. I've watched him kick him from 64 in the indoor facility and make it by plenty. I mean, this guy's leg is exceptional, and he's been accurate to point. Now, you know, will we know what he'll do when it's all on the line against San Francisco in the last second, and now it really does count and you only get 16 of these during the regular season? No. We don't. We won't know. And so he's got to, you know, he's got to navigate himself, you know, through through an NFL season. So we're a long way, really, from knowing the rest of the story. But I'm here to tell you, I've never, I've never seen somebody burst onto the scene like this, the way Matt Gay is attempting to do it from from waiter and soccer player two years, just two years ago. Uh, it's just a phenomenal story. And so, what happens now with uh, Cairo Santos? I think. Here's what I think, I think, as Peter King would say. <clears throat> I think that he's going to end up kicking somewhere in the NFL this year. I don't think they can trade him. And here's why. Uh, you know, the Jets would seem to have been, you know, the most logical place, obviously. And he's already had a stint through there, and he was injured. So they're probably not looking to, you know, to rehire the same guy that they had that got hurt for him before. And any other team is going to recognize that Matt Gay is going to make this football team because Cairo is a vested veteran, 
he doesn't he's not subject to waivers so you can pretty much you know sign him as a free agent negotiate any deal you want to now the only reason they would trade for him is if there was a big market and and you know since there's no waiver process they would you know fear that maybe he'd get money from another team and if you're desperate and you really have your eyes set on Cairo then you're going to have to get into a bidding war and so maybe in that point in that instance you give the bucks something anything uh in terms of a draft pick to to try to get him but it's just not an I think people just assume, well, you got two kickers and there's got to be a team that needs one. Why don't you just trade them? And those things don't always happen because, again, teams recognize your situation and, and that if they just wait, you know, um, he'll come free. Because the thing is, if whether he's on their roster or your roster, if he's there week one, then his contract's guaranteed because he's vested. So, you know, they may try to get they may try to get by you know, a week with their own guy or, you know, if he's a younger kicker. Um, so his contract maybe isn't guaranteed. Um, but for a guy like Cairo Santos, if he's there for the opening day, you got to pay him his entire salary whether he makes it throughout the year or not. So there's a lot of lot of things that might affect that. But um, what a great night for, for that kid. He was really excited. Um, I enjoyed talking to him. I think he's I think he's a talent. I, I've not – the ball sounds different coming off his foot, and he really has a strong leg. I mean, he's just and, – and he has a makeup, too. You know, when you talk to him, he said, you know, when I played soccer, he says, I was the guy that always wanted to go last. I wanted to go fifth when they had the penalty kicks, you know, to win the game. I mean, that's just sort of – you know, he's the youngest of eight brothers and sisters. He had five older brothers that beat up on him all the time. He was always playing with the older kids. Uh, so he has a certain level of maturity, and – you know, don't forget, he's not just like a guy that's rolling out of college here at age 22. Um, this guy is 25 years old. He's married, and he's got his first child on the way in September. So, you know, he's he's been through some things. And, you know, I think all that's part of his makeup. And really, a lot of guys are talented that kick in the NFL. They all are. I mean, if you couldn't kick, you wouldn't make it to this level even for a tryout. But the difference is, you know, just what is, what's between their ears. You know, sort of what is their their mentality and he wants he wants the game on his foot um when it gets in those situations and he embraced what he had the other night and he came through so again preseason but we'll see you know if he's able to carry that through all right steve finally the rays i'm telling you i thought they were going to get swept by the tigers and probably should have um, as i should have may have been the right word yeah i mean look they you know the first game they get shut out two to nothing and how many innings did they go without scoring a run? Let's see. There was there was at least against the Tigers. There was nine the opening at day. At one point it was twenty nine, but I think it was more than that. Yeah, I think it was more. I do too because it, actually going into the series they had gone a number of innings without scoring. But we know, mm-hmm. we know. For example, they went they went they got shut out in nine innings in the opener. And, and boy, Charlie was, Morton pitched really well in that opener. Oh yeah, he did. He deserved a much better fate. And they they went to the thirteenth inning, wasn't it? Thirteen inning game. That was the Saturday the, game that they won. Yeah, that they won on yeah. Saturday, right? But it was zero zero at yes. that point. Uh, team record: How many strikeouts with no walks? Twenty four. Twenty four and I mean, thirteen innings. Incredible, incredible amount of strikeouts, no walks. Thought Diego Castillo pitched very, very well. They all did. They struck out a lot of people, and then they get the uh, the game winning walk off hit uh, there in the thirteenth. So, you know, when when, when they had the bases loaded, I think it was the eleventh inning. And mm-hmm. they did not score. score. You're just like, they're they're going to lose this game. And as well as they sure. pitched all game, oh sure, it would have been a shame to have lost that game. And I, I, I think, and I saw you retweet from Dave Wills, the, the base is loaded. The Rays are O for their last thirteen, was it or something like no, that? No, I think it was more than that. Something crazy numbers. 
So. They have not been very good uh, with the bases loaded of late. And, and, and then on Sunday, how about G-Man Choi? Well, you know, the Rays love him. We talked to Mark Topkin about this. Uh, you know, a lot of people think they have way too many first basemen that G-Man would be the guy that would drop off. But he came into the game and got, a, I think he got a couple, he got a walk or a couple of hits. I can't remember mm-hmm. which, but of course the game winner back up through the middle, um, you know, does a nice job. It's his second walk off of, of his career. He didn't had one last year. And so, you know, it, it was almost a shame for the time. You know, that's what bad teams do, right? Like that game should have been, it was four to one. Um, you know, they get a big home run from Tommy Pham to center field in the eighth inning, a two run blast. It's good to see him starting to swing the bat really well again. He talked after a game about, you know, he has that wrist problem, but I guess they've started to find new ways to treat him uh, before the game. And so, you know, his power's coming back. He batted leadoff, single to start the game. And so, you know, that, that was a huge – that was probably the biggest – the biggest play of the game was probably his two-run homer mm-hmm. in the eighth inning. And he crushed that, that gave, gave Oh, yeah, dead center. Gave them a chance, you know. Um, and, then, and then, of course, G-Man comes through with one out. Um, you know, it was funny, the post game. he said, well, you know, my, my whole approach was that if I make an out, there's somebody behind me that can pick me up. Um, well, and that's so what the thing, though, because Choi all year has struggled with runners in scoring position, particularly with less than two outs. He's done actually pretty well with two outs, but with less than two outs, he's really struggled with runners in scoring position this year. But he hit it hard back up through the middle, got a little bit of a good hop over the second baseman's glove, and once it was in the center field, of course. Yeah. And broke up uh, the 0 streak for runners with bases loaded. They were 0-17 mm-hmm. at one point. Maybe it had another bat or two, but you know, mm-hmm. he finally broke that up in the win. Now, 21 games over 500. I mean, that was, you know, that was a tough series because if, if they lose two out of three or could, like I said, could have easily been swept by the lowly Tigers, um, that, that would have left a mark. Because they've they've got some tough ones after the Seattle series that they're going to host the Mariners, then they go to Houston. So you know that that long stretch of games where they're going to play teams you know with under 500 records is coming to an end. And as it stands, you know they've they've managed to win about two out of three of every one of those, which is really good. You know they're about playing about 667 or so baseball. Uh, and if you can do that, you know as Dave Will said on the broadcast, if you can you know, stack win, winning series together. That's really what it's about at this point. Now, after the Mariners, they go to the Orioles first, then they go to the Astros. Okay. So they, they still All have right. seven so games. They still, they, have... they still have seven games left of the below 500 teams. And then they'll go right. to Houston and welcome the Indians to town. So that's when it, you know, starts to get your tougher opponents back. That's right. And I think the, the A's lose, I believe, on uh, Sunday night. Is that correct? Yes, the A's did right. lose. So, yeah, they're a game and a half up on the A's. They're only a game behind Cleveland. Uh, both those teams have Monday night off, so the Rays will play against Seattle. So they could pull within a half game of Cleveland for the first wild card with a win tonight. It's going to be hard, though. I mean, those bats have gone completely silent. You know, I didn't realize how bad Austin Meadows has struggled of late. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he's in a pretty bad slump. Um, maybe Pham is coming out of it a little bit. They just don't have anybody that's hot right now, you know, and they've all kind of – this is kind of the way the season has gone. You know, Darno carried them for a while and then he's cooled off and um you know it just it's just kind of kind of the ebb and flows of their lineup has it's just not it's not you know they, they've done it all with pitching i mean if they score mm-hmm. a run some nights you're you're surprised mm-hmm. but you know they the good teams find a way to win i mean i give them credit they battled back they needed that game they needed to win that series and they're down four to one you know in the eighth inning to come back and win that that gives them a big lift. And for whatever reason, they just haven't done it at the drop. I mean, when they go on the road, 
this doesn't seem to be a problem, but somehow um, they just haven't done it there. All right, well, we'll see what the Rays do. They continue uh, their homestand. They'll host Seattle tonight. It'll be Brendan McKay on the mound for the Rays and see if he can get a win for them. And then we're going to be talking a lot about the Bucks. They're back at practice. Training camp is over. Um, they play Cleveland on Friday. My buddy cop, uh, Eduardo Encina, I will break that down for you this week. We're going to have Matt Baker, our college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Of course, Florida playing Miami and Orlando on Saturday as college football gets underway with college game day. At week Disney, zero. No signs. Week zero week of zero. the college football season. What the hell does that mean, anyway? How can it be week zero? Now it's, Coke it's, zero. It's very few games. they're sponsored by Coke zero, week zero? Yeah, it's very few games. There's only a handful on Saturday. Most of them start the next week, so that's... Labor Day weekend is always considered week one, so they call this week zero. Yeah. And as always, my friend John Gruden will have hard knocks. Did you see where, uh, you see where the guy's out again, Antonio Brown? You see, it's gone. Did you see Mike Mayock's comments? <laughs> oh, He needs to be all good. in or all out? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, man. He better be all out. I, I've, I've, this is the weirdest thing. and I'm telling you, the people in Pittsburgh right now are probably just like, I mean, they took a $20 million cap hit to get rid of that headache. Imagine how much of a headache that was for them. Well, and Le'Veon Bell's gone too. So, I mean, it's like, it's all harmonious there in Pittsburgh now. Oh, totally. And I mean, what a, what a nightmare that's going on in Oakland. So I can't wait to watch hard knocks this week. So we got lots of things coming up for you. And as well as a mailbag, you can uh, get your questions in anytime. We'll do that later this week. You can reach us on Twitter at sports day TV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. So for Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 